Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We are now in our God is Able Sermon Series. In this life, it is so easy for us to settle for the ordinary. We wake up and typically have the same routine every single day. Yet our God created us to live an extraordinary life. There is no one in the world exactly like you, and God wants you to reach your full potential. This involves us growing deeper and deeper into Christ while following Him every day. His plans for us are immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's trust Jesus and live out our extraordinary lives. Let's listen in. All right. Well, if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles uh, or your device that you're going to follow along with, uh, we're going to open up to begin with to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Uh, and then we'll follow up later in just a little bit with um, Acts chapter 2. So starting in, in Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, this, you know, this is one of those passages that we, we've, has been really foundational for Rolling Hills as we celebrate 20 years and kind of looking at what God's done over the past 20 years. We go back to this passage because of its foundational nature and who we are and kind of where we've been, but also in looking forward to the next 20 and, and looking at this passage and just realizing uh, that God's done so much and we, we believe that the story's not over, that he's continuing to write that. And so we've started each week uh, kind of walking through and just reading this passage together and it's really for two reasons. One, because uh, there's something really special about reading God's Word together and, and, and as, as the body of Christ being able to read God's Word together. But secondly, uh, we were challenged to memorize it. And so just as a way of maybe helping us remember uh, the passage, we're just going to read it together. So if you're able uh, to follow along, it'll be on the screen. You can follow along there. So we'll read this passage together, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It's going to appear magically on the screen. There it is. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You, again, you guys, at week three or week four of that, you've crushed it. Uh, I'm really proud of you, and um, I report every week in. I report every week as we get back how, how well we did, and we're always top of the class. We're A-pluses, so uh, everybody else is struggling, but we're doing great. Yeah, thank you, Alex, for, for clapping at that. So, again, this, this series that we're in is called God is Able, and week one, we kind of looked at that first part, of the, the, now to him, and, and, reminded our, and we're reminded that it's, it's God that starts all of this. It's him. It begins with him. It's starts with him. It ends with him. It's all about him. And then week two, we talked about him who is able and talked about this, the, the reminder that, and meditated on this, this reality that this, that this God that we celebrate and we look to is able to do immeasurably more. And we, we were challenged in that week just to, to pray big, bold, faith-filled prayers. And you guys did. I'm, I'm so proud. Every week since then, we've just kind of had conversations with folks, and you're praying these big, bold, faith-filled prayers, and you're seeing God move and respond to those. And, and uh, it's exciting to hear those stories. And I want to keep asking you to pray those prayers, and, and then tell those stories, because in telling the stories, we encourage each other. Last week, uh, we looked at the next part of the, of the passage where it says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And then this week, what we're going to do is just take that next portion, that next little bit, and, and really is the central portion of this passage, which really becomes what, we, what, what a lot of scholars call a doxology here at the end of this, uh, end of this 
part of, of, of Ephesians where Paul's writing to the, the church at Ephesus, kind of explaining the doctrines, and then he's moving towards what uh, is how these doctrines really flesh out in our lives. And, he, and what he shares here in this part is really about the power that works in us. And that's what the passage says, and we've gotten to this point. It says, according to, according to his power that is at work within us. And just like the last couple of weeks, like I said, we're, we're going to work through another passage to kind of help shed light on what this passage says and give us a little bit of a picture and dive a little deeper into what, what God's talking about, what Paul's talking about, and, and what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us in this passage where he talks about his power working within us. And so we're going to do that by turning to Acts chapter 2, and it's going to be exciting as we work through this passage. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, but before we get to that, let's uh, pause and just ask the Lord to bless uh, our, our time together as we open his word together. Lord, we, we come to you, and, and as we are reminded of just all that you've done and how, you are, how you've done immeasurably more, God, that you are the God of the impossible, that we've witnessed you do incredible things, and we believe that we're going to continue to witness you doing incredible things, things far beyond our imagination. God, we pray that this morning would be a moment as we slow down and look at your scripture, that you would move in our hearts, that you would do your work in our hearts. And Father, we pray that you would move in such a mighty way, just as you did, as we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 that you would show up in a mighty way and transform lives and teach us what it means to truly be used by you, that your spirit is at work within us. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. So in Ephesians, in the passage that we just read, that the, this, this part of the passage, he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is in work within us. As we turn to, to Acts, you know, there's a, a difference. There's a couple words that look or sound the same, but they're, they're very different in what they, in their definition, right? The, the word epic and epic. Or, or they sound a lot, they sound very, very similar, but they're different in, in, their, in their functionality, the, in, in their meanings. The word epic is a word that maybe sometimes gets thrown around that something is epic, and maybe sometimes things that are epic are probably not quite as epic as we think that they are, right? But, but the word epic is really, it, it, most of the time, is a story about a hero. It's an event that's exciting. It's a, an, an adventure, right? Most often it includes something that's, that was difficult, and there's an overcoming, uh, aspect of it. There's something that's impressive about it, right? It's, it's something that's awesome. And again, it, it's something that separates from the normal part of life, right? Bottle flipping is not epic. Though we may use, we may say that it is epic, or I may slap bottles out of kids' hands at this point because I'm so tired of it. It's not epic when you land a bottle flip. If you don't know what a bottle flip is, don't ask, any, don't ask a kid that's in middle school. They'll do it, and you will be annoyed. But it's not epic, it, it's just something that happens, right? Then the, the word epic, epoch, E-P-O-C-H, is different. It, it's the beginning of a distinctive time, a moment, a period in history, it, in, in the life of a person or a nation. It's typically marked by a notable event that transforms the, that nation or that in, in the individual or, or, or history in and of itself. And we all have moments that are like this in our lives, in our own lives, these moments that are epic, 
that, that are not epic, but epic, where, where, where moments that change the trajectory, the landscape of our lives, they change the direction of our lives, they create whole new perspectives on life and the future. In my life, there's a handful of those that I can, I can call back to. The earliest one that I remember is 1989. There was an earthquake in California that happened during the World Series. I don't know that I was watching the World Series, but in my mind, I remember the news coverage of that earthquake. And it was the first time that like in my mind, like I'm looking at, at structures and I, I, I'm 10 years old at the time and like streets have, interstates have fallen apart. And I'm like, can that happen in Baton Rouge? Like that's, if I'm scared to death, right? And from that moment, like you're, I'm practicing earthquake drills in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We don't have that, but I'm practicing earthquake drills. I didn't really, that's a joke. I, I, I want to confess I, I was lying. I didn't actually practice that. I fast forward a handful of years, and June, June 10th of 1997 was another day that I would consider epic in my life. It's the day I trusted Christ for salvation. That God changed the tra- trajectory of my life, when, and, and years leading up to that as he was working in my heart. But that day, June 10th, 1997, I know everybody doesn't have a marked date. That's fine. I, God knew that I needed it, and so that's, he gave me the, that clarity of this is the day that he gave me new life, right? His spirit became dwelled inside of me, and I became a new creation. July 21st of 2003 is another one of those days. It's the first day that I saw my wife. She wasn't my wife then. She was just a, a, a counselor with a group of students at a camp. But this was the first day that I saw Rebecca. July 21st, 2003, I, I laid my eyes on her. I looked at some guys that were with me, and I said, I'm going to marry that woman. And they were like, you're an idiot. And I was like, yeah, you're, that's true, but I'm also going to marry that woman. And, I, and September 18th of 2004, I did. And she's stuck now, so she can't get out of it. And that's, uh, that's another moment in my August the 29th of 2005 was an epic moment, an epic day, a period that changed the trajectory of my life in so many ways. It's the day that Hurricane Katrina made landfall on Louisiana Mississippi coast. It changed my life. And it wasn't the fear of it, but so many things happened after that that changed the trajectory of my life and our our family's life in general. The day that each of my three kids were born were, were moments that changed the trajectory of my life. The day that, that we found out that something was going on with our oldest son, Cooper, changed the trajectory of my life. Each of these moments marked the rest of our lives in different ways. Marked our lives in, in, in ways that, that from that moment, everything changed. And in this passage in Acts chapter 2 is one of those moments in the history, not only in Christian history, but the history of the world that truly changes everything else that follows it. And in these small ways that at a hurricane or an earthquake changed my life, and, but truly that everybody that, that has ever lived since this moment in history, life is different because of it. Because it's the day that, the day that what we call, and most historians refer to in church specifically, calls the day of Pentecost. If you're looking at Acts chapter 2, right at the beginning, it talks about the day of Pentecost. And, and we're going to get a little bit more into that. But, but this, it's a part of a handful of epic moments in Scripture. First one, just to, to get, list those, creation is the epic moment in Scripture. When God creates all things, incarnation, when Jesus comes in the form of a, uh, and, and puts on human flesh, that's an epic epic moment in history. The, the crucifixion and resurrection, epic moment in history. And then the last one will be the return 
when God comes back to take us to be with him forever. And we live since, since we live currently in between resurrection and return in a moment in what's called Pentecost under this age. It's where we are currently for the past 2000 years. And until Christ comes back, we live in this moment. And there's a couple of things. The first thing that I want to, if you're following along on your, on your worship guide, the first thing that I think in this passage that we need to see and understand from this passage in Acts chapter two is that God fulfills his promises. If you see it right there in, in Acts chapter two, verse one through four, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and suddenly sound like a blow, blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire and that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began, speak, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There's tons, tons, uh, like literally tons that is going on in this passage. But the first thing that I think, and just it's foundational and it's simple in my mind, but it's foundational for this whole passage is that God fulfills his promises. And in, in, in verse four, it says, and all of them were filled with the spirit. It's striking because it's, it, it reminds us that God fulfills the promises that he makes to his people. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus says that John, the Baptist, John baptized with water, but, I, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the day that Jesus is, is resurrected and he goes back to be with the Father he's in the ascension, he tells them not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the same, what he means by baptized is that he's going to fill them with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is not the only places that he says, these, that he says this is what's going to happen. Right before it happens, just probably 10, 15 days before it happens, he tells them. But in John, it tells him multiple times. In, in other gospels, it tells us multiple times that God promised, that Jesus promises the disciples that he's going to fill them with the Holy Spirit, that he was going to send the Holy Spirit an advocate that would come afterwards to lead them and to guide them into all truth, to teach them and to remind them everything that he had said. And I think it's important that we slow down and understand what happens in Acts chapter 2 as, as the Holy Spirit comes in this day of Pentecost is the fulfillment of God's promise of what Jesus had promised and what God had promised. In a, in a world in our in a, in a world where where the value of somebody's words has maybe lost some of its value, what we are reminded of is that when God says that He's going to do something, it's done, and He promised that He was going to send the Holy Spirit, and He does it, and over and over and over again, it makes it so clear in Scripture that what Jesus says He does, He's going to do, He does, and I think it's significant for us to understand that. There's so many other things we don't have time to work through in this, but, but so many other things about, about this moment in history, this day of Pentecost that, that happens that, that is just a fulfillment of the promise and, and, and seeing God do things in fulfillment of his promises. And, and if you want to talk about it sometime, I'd love to talk about some of the other things that are happening, but we're going we're gonna to keep moving to the next thing that I think that we see in this passage. As you keep moving through the passage, the second thing, if you're following along, is this, that God fills his people with, his present, with the presence of his spirit. He fulfills his promise, but he, fulfill, he fills his people with the presence of his spirit. Again, going back to the passage, verse 2, it says, Suddenly 
like a blowing, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separate, separate and land on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues as the Spirit enabled. I'm going to do something that's a little different than what I normally do uh, because for, for two reasons. One, because I don't, uh, or three reasons. One, because I don't, I don't want us to be overwhelmed by what could be overwhelming in this passage. And I think some of the way, and secondly, I know my own limitations. And because of that, I believe that sometimes the simplest, most elementary way to explain something could be the best way to do it. Right? I could, I could over-explain. I could try to do more than really is necessary. And I think we would maybe miss the point. So I'm just going to try to do what is the most elementary explanation of what's happening in this passage. And to do that, I'm going to read for you from my favorite book. This is about my reading level. It may be a little bit higher. Uh, than the reading level that I currently possess and what my favorite book is, the Jesus Storybook Bible from Sally Lloyd-Jones. If you don't have this Bible, it's it's not a Bible. If you don't have this storybook Bible, it is uh, is fantastic. And I I recommend it for all people, not just kids, for all people. But listen to what Sally Lloyd-Jones kind of paints this picture. It says, Jesus' friends and helpers huddled together in a stuffy upstairs room. Even though it was sunny outside, they shud- they, they, the shutters were closed and the doors were locked. Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to send a special present. God's power is going to come on you. God's Holy Spirit is coming. And so they were waiting. Actually, most of them were just scared and hiding, but, but either way, they were waiting. And while they were waiting, they were praying, remembering how, how from the beginning, God had been working out his secret rescue plan. Now listen to this. And suddenly a strong wind filled the little room, whispering, whistling through the walls, rustling the straw on the floor. And there on everyone's head, shining in the gloom, were these flickering flames, fire that did not burn or hurt. And something more, inside of their hearts, they felt the strange heat, almost as if the coldness and the hardness were melting away, as if Their broken hearts were mending, and God was giving them a brand new heart, hearts that actually worked properly. How it happened, they didn't know, but they knew God's power had struck in their heart, had struck their hearts ablaze, and Jesus himself was coming to live inside of them. They had seen Jesus go away, but now he was even closer than he had ever been inside of their hearts. And this time, nothing could ever separate them. Jesus would always be there with them, loving them, whispering the promise that would, that would get rid of the poison and the terrible lies and the sickness that was in their hearts. God's wonderful promise to them that you are my child and I love you. Make your home in me and I will make my home in you, Jesus said. Could it be that heaven was coming into their hearts? I don't know exactly. Again, I think we could talk in circles around all of what's happening here, but I, I believe that the most, the clearest explanation is that these 
tongues of fire. And as the wind, what sounded like a wind, it wasn't a wind. It doesn't say that it was a wind. It sounded like a wind. That was the best description of what was happening. What sounded like a wind was rushing into this room. And these tongues of fire was an outward expression of an inward reality of what God was doing in their hearts. As he was making them new and his presence this flame of his presence that maybe was in the temple and that, that was separate from them, that, that flame of his presence was now inside of them. It was no longer a place uh, behind a curtain in the temple. No, their hearts had become a temple of God's presence where he would abide. And I think there's a couple of things that I, I want to make sure we cover before we move on is this, that God fills his people with the presence of his spirit on his timetable and by his grace. As we look at this passage, one of the commentators that I was, as I was studying, I think it's just so important for us to get this. It wasn't formulaic. It wasn't a, a moment that, that they, they did the right things. They said the right prayers. They stayed the right amount of time or the, because of their spirituality, because they were more spiritual than others, that God's presence fell. Now, listen, it came at God's timing and God's, sovereign, and God's sovereignty. He was in control of when this happened. And for us, as we, we recognize that, that this, was, this, this is moving forward, God's presence in his people, it moves on us and, and, and it gives us new life. It's his timing and by his grace, this doesn't happen because they did the right things. It doesn't happen because they were more spiritual than other people. It happened because God moved in their hearts. Sometimes I think we try to make formulas out of what God doesn't make a formula. He's not saying that this is we need to go hide away in a room and wait for his presence. We don't need to, a lot of, I've, I've read so many different things and, and it's so crazy. Some people are like, they were sitting, so we need to sit. Like that's, it's, this is not a formula. This was God's sovereign timetable. He had control of when this happened. And it was by his grace, not because of what they had done. And when God moves, it's up to God. The second thing I think we need to see in this moment as God fills his people with his spirit and provides a picture of God's purpose and restoration. I think a lot of times in, in, in churches, we get a little nervous when we start talking about tongues and what happens in this passage and them speaking in tongues. And I, we're not going to get into all the ins and outs of that, right? But what I, what I want us to hear is, is the purpose. What He gives us this perp, the picture of the purpose of restoration. There's always, there, there's something that's happening here. As, as you ver, verse four and on, again, we read this a second ago, it says, all of them were filled with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, and began speaking in tongues, and speaking in tongues other than the tongues, their own tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Remember, the Spirit enabled them to do that. Verse five, it says, now there was, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and when they heard this sound, the crowds came together in bewilderment because each of them heard in their own language being spoken, their own language being spoken, utterly amazed. They asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Which is basically like, isn't this bunch of rednecks speaking in a different language? That's an interpretation. Then how is it that we hear them in our native tongues, our native language? What was happening was a miracle of God's spirit through his people, and it was a picture of God's purpose. Because if you kind of backtrack a little bit, if you go back to, to 
the, to Genesis, what happens in Genesis chapter 11 is it tells us the story that God's people were kind of all together in this, in the, that God, the people that God had created were all together in this one place and they, they were wicked. And it says the story of the Tower of Babel, they were wicked and they were building this tower and they had wickedness in their hearts. And God confused and frustrated them and then scattered them. And so they, 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 were, they were together and they had one language and he confused their language and frustrated them so they continue, couldn't continue in their wickedness and he scattered them into all these other places. But in Acts 2, in this moment of Pentecost, the people are back together. People in different languages are from, he says, from all the places under heaven. Now, we know that there's, there's lands beyond where they were, but this is a picture of hey, all the places where the Jewish people, where God's people had been spread out to and scattered. All of those people were in this one place to celebrate this moment. And, and, and God, rather than confusing the, their language, restores the language. That no matter where you were from or what language you spoke, you heard the gospel clearly. Listen, what God was doing at Pentecost was restoring what sin had broken with the wickedness in our own hearts that God had to frustrate and, and, and scatter, what he was doing was bringing them back together and saying, listen, my gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth, to every tribe and nation and tongue. Nothing is going to keep this good news of God restoring what was broken from moving out from this place. It's what he told them that he was going to do, and he, continue, he continues to show us that his purpose was not just for a small group of people to hear it, but for all people everywhere to hear this gospel and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. The third thing that I think we see in this passage, we skip forward just to verse 14. It says this, that when then Peter stood up and the, with the 11 and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd and fellow Jews and all who, li who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. If you're following along, it's this, that, that God's presence and God's people, the God's presence and God's people fill us with the courage to do God's will. I, I, love this I love this passage for so many reasons, but what we see in this moment is Peter standing up in front of all of these people. And it says, Peter with the 11. Another translation says, with the backup of the 11, or the other disciples. The other disciples backing him up. This is the same man, Peter, this is the same guy that just 50 some odd days before had denied that he ever knew who Jesus was. That he had said, I don't even know who that man is. And Jesus hears, he, he says that he's going to do it. He says, I'm not going to, Jesus tells him he's going to do it. He's like, there's no way I'm doing that. And then he outwardly says, I don't even know who Jesus is, denies that he even knows him. 50 days later, in front of many of the same people that he denied Jesus in front of, he stands up and he proclaims clearly, without any fear, who Jesus is and the fact that he is Messiah, the Savior, and Lord. So what's the difference? The difference is twofold. First, I think the Holy Spirit is inside of him. The only, I mean, the, the, the reality that what changes in Peter's life between that 50 days before and this moment is that the Holy Spirit has, has taken residence inside of him and given him the courage to do God's will. But I think secondly, what you see in this passage, and I, 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 for so long I feel like I've missed this, is that, he, that it's right there with him is the 11. The other disciples are right there with him. 
That it's not just, it it is certainly the presence of God that gives us the courage to do God's will, but it's also the presence of God's people around us to help us to have that courage to walk in faithfulness and obedience to God, no matter what the cost. It's why we talk so much about community and this, the key to it is not only the presence of God, God's presence inside of us, but his people around us that give us the courage to walk in obedience, no matter what the cost. If you and I don't have a community of people that we're living life together and we talk about it over and over again, this week is the first week that our community groups will meet. And if you're not in one, we want to encourage you to get in one because we believe that that's the group of people by the power of the Holy Spirit and and the, the, the church that he's building, that those people are going to give you the courage along with the presence that's living inside of you to be obedient to God no matter what the cost, at home, at work, in whatever relationships, at school, all of those places, that that his presence and his people give us the courage to be obedient, no matter what the cost to what God's will is for our lives, because we need each other. And then the fourth thing, that God's word, courageously proclaimed, cuts to the heart and transforms lives. That God's word, when, when courageously proclaimed, cuts to the heart and transforms lives. All these people are trying to take in what's happening, and, and they're, they're perplexed. It says they're perplexed and amazed. They're bewildered, astounded, right? all these different, they're, 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 their heads are spinning. They can't figure out what's going on, and so they ask the question, what does this mean? And Peter stands up. Uh, along with the other disciples, he stands up and he raises his voice and he addresses them. And, and what Peter does is astounding to me because it continue, and, and even as today, it continues to shape my preaching as well as just interaction with my family and my friends and, and folks that God puts me around on a daily basis. And, and I believe that it can transform and shape I, I, all of our relations within and outside the church. Because what Peter does, first, he answers the question that the community and the culture is asking What what Peter does is he stands up and he says, listen, I'm going to answer the question that you're asking. And what we get to do when when we courageously proclaim God's word is we answer the question that the community and the culture around us is asking. And what Peter says is he says, pay attention to what's happening in the lives of the people that are, that are around you. Pay attention to what's going on. This question, it's simple, but it's, it's specific. He's, it, it, this question that they're asking is, what, what's going on? What does all this mean? And we pay attention to that question in our friends and our family and the, the people that he puts around us. And then he answers that question and he points to God's word and ultimately he points to Jesus. The very first thing that he says, he says, this is the fulfillment of a prophecy What is happening right here is the fulfillment of a prophecy. And he's talking to a group of Jewish people. And so it's fitting that he would go back to Old Testament. And when we talk to people, we 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 engage in their story and we understand how it interacts, how it how it intersects with what God's story is. So we answer the questions that the community that we're around and the culture that we're in are asking. And they're asking, what does all this mean? What's happening around us? And so we go back to God's word and ultimately. Just like Peter, we point to Jesus. And he doesn't sugarcoat what he says. I'd, I'd encourage you to go back and read this, this, his sermon, the first sermon of, of this new era, this new epic of the church. In verse 36, it says this, that therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God, was made Jesus, God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. 
When he tells the, the, those Jewish people, he's like, this, who, what God has done is he's made him Lord. He is, he is Lord, that Jesus is the third part of this Trinity. He is who he says he is. He is the Lord. And he's also Messiah. He's the one that's come to rescue us, to save us. He's both things. He's Lord and Messiah. When we say, a lot of times we say Savior and Lord, and that's the same thing that, Paul, that, that Peter's saying here. And then verse 7, 37 says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This phrase, cut to the heart, is the only time in all of Scripture that that phrase is used. And he says that he, he, what, what happens to these individuals that hear is that their hearts are, are, are destroyed. They, they know that there's something that they need and they respond by saying, what do we do? And Peter replies very clearly, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's important. A lot of translations, and I know there's lots of traditions that say gifts of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, gift of the Holy Spirit. You, what you're going to receive is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual, spiritual gifts is something else. What he's talking about is the gift of God's presence inside of you. The same thing that was, that was causing all of this ruckus inside of Jerusalem that was happening inside the lives of these individuals that were huddled in this room, he says that same gift of the Holy Spirit will be yours. In verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and those who are far off and for all who would call on the, on, on the Lord, who all, who the Lord God will call. In verse 40, and with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted, those who accepted, meaning not everybody did, those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It was a day that changed everything for the church. It was the beginning of, of a new era, an epic in history, but specifically for the church. It was the beginning of that age of where God's spirit would reside in God's people and he would equip them to do his will, to give them the courage to do his will. It was the beginning of something brand new. We're still in that place where God is working. His spirit dwells in his people and in us. And he works through us to bring about his kingdom in this place where we live. In the same way as, as he, gives, he gave Peter strength and the other disciples, he gave them strength to walk in courage, to courageously proclaim his word and, and to do his will. He gives us courage with, with the community that surrounds us to courageously proclaim his word and to do his will no matter what the cost. And when we live lives like this, the community begins to ask questions. What is going on here? In our world, as their heads are spinning, in our culture, and in the time that we live in, our head, people's heads are spinning as what's going on. And what we get to do is proclaim, not sugarcoat, but to proclaim the gospel clearly and call people in the same way that Peter did to repentance and faith and to be baptized as an outward expression, an outward reality of, of their commitment to Christ and their union with Christ and his church. 
And that commitment not only happened, it, what, what happened here is you see that, you see the story that's happening for, for, the, for the Jewish people that were in this place, but it continues out as, as Acts shares, it continues to move from Jerusalem to, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see ourselves right here in this passage. As he says, he says, it's the promise is for your children and for all who are far off and all who the Lord will call. And so in a small way, we get to find ourselves right here in this passage. But the story is not over because we still live in between resurrection and return. And this place, the part of the epic that we live in is the filling of his spirit. This moment of Pentecost where his spirit equips us to do his will to continue to proclaim his gospel. And I can't tell you, as we think about where we are and as we just almost two years into this, into this journey of being a church here in Columbia, being rolling hills in Columbia, on the cusp of being able to move into our own building on the other side of town, how important this passage and, and the reminder of what God does in Acts chapter 2 that we beg that he would continue to do for all who are far off and all whom he would call. As he fills them with his spirit, that it doesn't end in this moment, that it continues until he returns. Because I believe that right here in Columbia, right here where we live, and in the neighborhoods that surround us, in the neighborhoods that surround the new building on Casey Lane, there are individuals who God is calling to himself. That even right now, before, before we land there, that he's beginning today to stir in their hearts and to move in, them, in their hearts in such a way that he's calling them to himself. And we're praying that in his timing that he would open up eyes and there would be an outpouring of his spirit, much like this in our city. And this in Columbia and in Franklin and Nolansville and Nashville and a new campus on the south side of Nashville. In Moldova, where, where, where we do work, and, and in Brazil, and, the, and, and, and those, those places that we get to partner with Justice and Mercy International, that he would pour out his spirit in such a way that we would only be able to say that God is moving in a mighty way. In baptisms, we, we would not have to just watch them on videos, but we would be able to celebrate them in our own little horse trough or whatever we get to do them in, in our new building. I'm going to ask the band to come and uh, we'll close this moment. But just to, for, for just as we, as we close, I'm just going to ask you just to bow your heads for a moment. I'm sure that for all of us, there's at least one individual that's in our circle of influence. And maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's, maybe for parents, maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's somebody that you work with. Just one person that's in our circle of influence that, that God has placed in your life and placed it on your heart that they need to hear the message of the gospel. And that, even as you're thinking about that, maybe God just gives you that one person. And I, I want to ask you to just join me and just for a second and just some quiet as, as the maybe the band starts to, to, to begin to play and kind of just get us um, move us towards uh, another moment of worship, but just in that moment to ask God to pour out his spirit in such a way that in the next couple of days that those individuals, that that individual that's on your mind would begin to ask the question, what's going on? 
And I'm going to ask God to do something big and bold and faith-filled that, that in the next couple of days, that individual that, that is, that's on your mind right now, that what he would do is that he would put them in your path and they would ask the question, man, I don't even know what's going on or what, what's happening in our world or what's going on in my life, confused about what's happening. And that would be a reminder for you to step in with God's word, and point to Jesus. That it would be a reminder that God fulfills his promises as we call on him. And so I'm gonna pray in just a moment. I'm gonna ask you just to pause for a moment of silence and just pray for that individual. But I'm gonna pray for us and ask God just to do something incredible, even this week, and draw their hearts to him and help our ears to be open to them beginning to ask questions about what what's happening and that he would give us the courage to walk in obedience and to proclaim his gospel so you pray for him for just a second Lord I don't know the names of the individuals that we called out in these places truthfully God I don't even know if it's okay for me to ask you to 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 stir in their hearts, to ask a certain question. But I, I believe you want to move and you want to remind us that you're still, your spirit is still at work in the lives and the hearts of people that are around us. And so I'm asking you, Jesus, to do something that, man, it takes me a lot to even, to even voice, to do something just bigger than I can ask or imagine. And this week, in the next, next couple of days, God, that that individual that's on our hearts, God, that they would begin asking questions and they would ask us a question of what's happening or what, what's going on and just questioning what's going on in life. And it would be a reminder of us that you are working. And Father, in that moment, you would also give us the courage to step in and point to your word and ultimately point to Jesus as the answer and the hope for all the questions that we have. God, we love you. We thank you that you loved us first and best and always. And Lord, I, I, I mean, you know, you know my heart right now. I'm terrified to even ask those that question. But believe that you you can do more than even my fear. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.